Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. You ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never changed anything. So the first lesson um, that I want to pull from that story has to do with effort. Um, I got interested in Fleetwood Mac because I, was, I have a friend who works for um, Warner Records, which was their record label for many years. And we were t- talking about them, Fleetwood Mac once, and he said to me, um, what's the best Fleetwood Mac album? And I said, well, it's Rumors. He said, yes, absolutely. I said, that is the classic album. And then he said, okay, what's, what number... Uh, record do you think Rumors is in the discography of Fleetwood Mac, right? And I said, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the band. So I said, I thought, well, I, I know they did the self-titled album, Fleetwood Mac, and I assume they must have done one or two in England before 
they came over to America. Let's say it's album number three. He said, wrong. It was album number 16. Right? 16. Um, now, remember that history that I gave you, that little potted history I started with? It was actually highly misleading because I left a lot out. I gave you the sense that the band's history was this little constrained start here, boom, and then they have rumors. In fact, the band's history is more like this. They start with Peter Green in 1967 and start playing around in the clubs of London. And in the original lineup of the band are a whole series of people who have been lost to history. Bob Bunning, Jeremy Spencer, right? These are the original guitarists in the band. And it's only after they get rid of one of those people, bringing a guy named Danny Kerwin, whoever knew what happened to Danny Kerwin, John McVie, Kerwin, I think, quits, and they bring in John McVie's girlfriend is a woman named Christy Perfect, who later becomes his wife, Christy McVie. But that's well down the road. And then at a certain point in the band's history, Peter Green quits because he, gets, he takes a lot of LSD and he joins a German cult. I, think, I, know, I don't know whether those two things are connected, but I assume they are. And the band at that point decamps for Hampshire and buys a giant decrepit house called, a, a manor house called Benefold. And they, they do enormous amounts of hashish and their kids run around naked and they raise goats. And they have, you know, all of them have like E-type Jaguars parked in the driveway. And they play all kinds of, of strange music for on and on and on. And then at one point they come back and they continue to keep bringing in new people. They bring in a guy named Dave Walker, who they then turn around and fire almost immediately because I think he's having an affair with one of Mick Fleetwood's girlfriends, although that itself is kind of odd because Mick Fleetwood's always having an affair with people's girlfriends. And they, bring in, um, they bring in a guy named Dave Walker. They bring in a guy named um, uh, uh, Bob Weston, and they fire them almost right away, and they run into a guy in a, in a railway station called Bob Welch, an American guy who they really like, and they hire him. So the band is going through all of these constant... Mutations, and as they do, they keep turning out records, right? Not one, not two, but a dozen records and more as they, as they progress um, through, the 70s, through the 60s and early 70s. It's only when they get to L.A. in the early 70s and when Bob Welch finally leaves the band that they hire Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and become the Fleetwood Mac that we know as Fleetwood Mac. Now, that process took 10 years. 10 years and 16 albums. They're not some kind of overnight sensation. They are a band that was a decade in the making. Now, that's a really critical fact because <clears throat> so often when we look at great and extraordinary successes, we have some kind of sense that they came from, they came fully flowered. They arrived on the scene and their greatness was already apparent, right? And all we had to do was to find some forum for that greatness to be expressed. We have a notion that so much of what makes someone good is something natural, something inherent in that person or that organization. But when you look at Fleetwood Mac, you realize that that was the furthest thing from the case. This was a band that was anything but good for the longest time. That took 10 years to kind of find that particular sound that set them apart from everybody else. This is something actually I spent a lot of time on in, in Outliers, um, this notion of how long it takes to be good. Because a lot of psychologists have actually attacked this question and have discovered something they call the 10,000 hours rule, which says that when we look at a wide variety of cognitively complex activities, we find a, 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 a very consistent pattern. And that is it seems to be impossible to achieve any kind of true expertise unless you have practiced for 10,000 hours. And 10,000 hours, if you think about it, think of that as 
four hours a day, is 10 years. The 10-year rule shows up in almost everything. We look at, for example, um, chess grandmasters. There's only ever been one chess grandmaster in history who has achieved that level without having played chess for 10 years, and that was Bobby Fischer, who became a grandmaster after nine years. You can take um, lovely studies of classical music composers. Uh, you take the whole, and you, you see what is the first piece of music they wrote that was truly great, that was one of their kind of signature pieces. And it has never been the case that a truly world-class piece of classical music has been composed before the composer was composing for 10 years. Now, people always say, well, what about Mozart? Well, was Mozart composing in his, at 10 and 11 years old? Absolutely. Have you ever listened to the things he was, he was composing at 10 and 11? They're terrible. He wasn't any good until he was 23 and writes Concerto Number no. 9, 271. All right, that was Malcolm Gladwell from, um, I guess that came out of his book, uh, Outliers. And he was touching on the... Um, the 10,000-hour rule. In any event, today's podcast for It's My House is titled The Missing Link in the Black Community Lobbyist. At least, that's what I think it is. The Missing Link in the Black Community Lobbyist. The last stream number is 619-768-2945. We have a live guest for you today. And... Um, but to set up this interview correctly, um, I'm trying to find my intro to or I'm going to play the intro to the show over, particularly for the new listeners, because this 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 will all come together when this this guest is on. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. You ain't gonna be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't have blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building. you set yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economic. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money from the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police departments. Then the fourth floor, you t- is the fourth floor that is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems. 
so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35,000 of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75, 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk, all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marching, they never changed anything. All right. This podcast today is about three years. We've been on four years. Three years in the making. Uh, we have a guest on today that, because with those five floors, the fifth floor that uh, Dr. Anderson, he didn't mention it in, in this piece that you just heard, but the fifth piece is education. So the connecting link with all five of those floors are lobbyists or somebody that knows uh, how the inner workings of government has relationships. So we have a guest on today, um, Stacy Babineau. Am I pronouncing the last name correctly? Yes, you got it correct. How are you? All right, fine, fine. Thanks for coming on today. Um, now, now, let's start off with this. What did you think about Dr. Claude Anderson's five floor theory or practice or application? I think he was absolutely correct, 100% broken down properly and as accurate as can be, as All accurate right. as can be. And we now don't hear tell us. No, we don't. We don't. That's why I play that, that, uh, that piece practically at the start of every podcast. Uh, there's some assumptions where I haven't played it, but, at the beginning, um, I, I typically play that. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, introduce what do you do, um, particularly in relationship to the Claude Anderson piece that we just played? Mediator. I mostly contribute to the mediation, being the mediator between the person who is trying to figure out what their next step is in regards to fixing a problem, taking care of a small matter, making them understand the proper process. And with that, this is not how I started. How I started was I was introduced to small municipality government. And what you, what that means is you work as a city administrator and you grow. You understand that for, therefore, you were introduced to, you are inside. 
so me being introduced to the inside of City Hall allowed me to develop a passion for politics. No, I actually started out uh, working for the city as a summer intern. And from there, I was going to go off to college in the fall. But it grabbed me. It grabbed me, and I knew that we was not aware of how these people react and how they actually take care of city matters. Because what we do, we go to school, they tell us to graduate and go to college. But what right. they don't teach us is, what they don't teach us is, we have a different route we can take. We have different jobs that we can that we can do without even having um, to get a four year degree and have a good living. Now, does it take time? Absolutely. Does it take passion? Absolutely. Does it take something that you wake up doing because you love it? Absolutely. But you got to keep in mind that when you grow and when you learn these things, it has to keep you going and you have to stay motivated, but you also have to know and be aware of what it is that you're doing because then it's going to all be for nothing. So when I worked in the municipality setting, that's local government. We went on to the state. And then that's where the that's where everything started to really make sense because that's where it all starts at. It starts on the state levels and then it tingles on down to the local levels. And then I get in the federal. <laughs> the big picture really mm-hmm. starts to come out. So that's just the basic, that's just the introductory and that's just why we have so little people who actually go into these fields because they're not even being introduced to us. They're not even being offered to us because there's only a certain amount of percent that is even allowed to get inside. What, okay. Um, let, uh, could you give an example of a, let's say, a local problem that uh, might be common but people don't know how to solve it? Or who to go to to solve it, help solve it? Okay. Let's just say we have a young guy who is very talented into cutting hair. He, he actually cuts his friend's hair. He cuts the neighbor. He cuts his friend's where they don't have to go and pay $35 to get a haircut. So he, what do he do? Mom buys him a box of clippers, and then he starts to cut his friend's hair. He, he has a natural talent. He makes this money. He's making pretty good money in what he does with it. He wants to grow. He wants to get his own shop. He doesn't understand mm-hmm. how to get that done. So what, what he don't realize is it can be done right in his backyard. It could be he can have his own business up in his garage. But if he doesn't have the proper permit, they can tell him to stop. And then what he does, he loses his passion. He loses his passion, his talent goes out the window, and he just becomes just another guy who knew how to cut his friend's hair and never went that far. And that's what stops us and prohibits us from having our own businesses and then flourishing, and then they're getting bigger and bigger. And the next thing you know, they have this chain of barbershops not only just in their city, but throughout their state, and then throughout other states. But this is why often, so many times, we lose focus on the things that we're supposed to be doing that is going to allow us to make substantial amount of money, that is going to turn into us putting money out into the community so that we can put the proper people, proper people in government, 
and powerful people in government, that means that we are getting more recognized. If they don't understand that, it all starts with you knowing. You go to your city hall, you get a permit to have your business, and it makes you legal. And no one can tell you to stop. It can't shut you down because you followed proper procedures. We don't get taught proper procedures every day. All they tell us is you can't do it. And what do we do? We okay. Then we become okay people. We become, okay, I can't do it, so I'm going to stop, and now I got to go and buy groceries. Now I, keep got, I have to keep working for the, the other companies that is going to prohibit me and limit me to what more I can do. So all we need to do is keep informing our people. And I say our people, I'm talking about our young individuals who's passionate, who have the energy, and who wants to grow, make good money, so they can put more into the, our community so that we can contribute to more in politics and in city government that trickles on up to the state and then eventually goes to Congress. We, it has to start somewhere. We have to stop being stuck in our tracks to doing what it is we're supposed to be doing. Now, no, I know you need to lobby it. Yeah, you bring up Go a ahead. very good point. You bring up a very good point because many people uh, start off with, well, you gave a good example. Let's say somebody wants to um, open up a barbershop or a beauty salon, Mm -hmm. and they get shut down. And some of those people, not all, some of those people might, well, get discouraged. Some Mm -hmm. might say, uh, well, if I was white, you know, or this, that, but you're right. If they just had no, because some people don't know, like you said, yeah, they Mm -hmm. don't know to get that permit. So it's not a matter of white supremacy or somebody trying to hold you down is that you just didn't know you need to go to this particular building, go to this particular counter, uh, and and, and get your paper. That's right. 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 That's right. What about for twelve years? Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. No, no, yeah, for I twelve years. Gonna, what now? I was just, I was just gonna add to that. For twelve years, I issued occupational licenses for small businesses at City Hall, and forty-eight percent, I would say, went on to becoming very, very uh, wealthy businesses, small businesses, and they grew. And I would say that only 10% may have been with African-Americans. Everybody else mm. was of an ethnicity. And, it was, mm. and all it took was an application, a small fee, and a will to never quit. Now, that, that's the start. That, that's going to that's, that's uh, start. Dr. Claude Anderson's thing. That's, that's one of the basic floors right there, Get, getting – Knowing where to go to get mm-hmm. legal. That's um, right. And stay legal. That's right. And stay legal. Right. That yeah, is yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I'm going to play another piece here uh, with a, a little bit more complex problem. Um, and let, let's play this piece and then come back to it. And now, an exclusive first look at the upcoming documentary, 7 a.m. We are. That's a those children who we were supposed to reap all the benefits mm-hmm. of integration. Mm-hmm. Dr. Anderson, 
I don't, I'm 36 and I'm telling you, I don't see where those benefits were. The generational wealth, the legacy, the institutions, the organizations that white kids have or even Asian kids have. I have never had access to any of those kind of things. It's never been, there's never been a similar type of structure for me. <clears throat> what happened to our inheritance? You don't, you don't have an inheritance, that's what I meant. If, if, if you don't have any wealth, what are you passing on? But if, if, see, we've spent most of our lives focusing politically on things that are non-inheritable. See, when, when, when the civil rights movement started, you're talking about your, in your integration years, is you a product of an integrated generation? Uh, what, what did your generation focus on? You focus on welfare, food stamps, public housing, okay, civil rights, social integration, preferential treatment, uh, getting a job. How, how do you inherit that? Those things. What's there to inherit? And 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 a typical white person right now, as an example, wealthy, they live on eighty-seven percent of their income comes from unearned income. They're getting from unearned income. They're getting from 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 from, the, from Wall Street, from the stock market. They're getting it from, from rent, rental payments, for property they own. They're getting it from, from trust accounts. They got unearned income coming. Where is your black unearned income? What's that going to be? Food stamp, welfare, uh, unemployment compensation? Where are you going to get unearned income from? And they keep telling black every black generation, integrated generation, that you've inherited something. What have you got to inherit? What black family you know is passing on any resources, any wealth to their children? Every, see, and so that means that, so what I'm saying then is that every white child at birth, he, come, he hits this earth in his community, in his church, in his family, in his neighborhood, in his school, in his race, with 87% of what he needs to be successful in life. He can reach out, unlike you just said, at any time and touch what he wants. He can go down the street and find banks. He can go find people that's in business. He can get cousins and relatives as, as, as professional people. He can touch it anytime he wants to. The 87 average white kid comes in with 87% of what he needs. You as a black person, you come in with zero. You come in with zero. You got to compete against a white child that has 87%. You come in with zero. So what they're going to tell you is that that's okay. You just got to run fast and jump higher. And that's not fair to black children. Black people have to learn that you got to you got to start developing wealth and resources and pass it on to these children so they can be at least competitive and quit focusing on this, this waste of time stuff about something that's, that's irrelevant that you can't measure. Oh, I'm leaving my kids some hope. I'm leaving him with a good mind. I'm giving him with the blessing of a family. Now, all that stuff. No, he needs something to compete against that guy that got 87 percent. And now, an exclusive first look at the upcoming project from Black Channel Films. Gentrification is basically class warfare. And that's the way it is in our community. It actually results in the death of people and it results in the displacement of communities. I say in the death of people because I think the New York Times did an excellent piece on the timeline of Eric Gardner in terms of why he's dead. Um, Eric Gardner is dead because 
of a real estate owner who did not want black people on in front of his building. And in New York, we have something called 311. If you repeatedly call it, it goes to the, lo- the police department. And the police department has monthly statistical meetings to see how many 311 calls they get on different issues. And the lieutenant in that precinct was uh, rammed out by his top commanders for having too many 311 calls on this particular area of the precinct. And he uh, phoned the precinct and said, I want those corners clear. And um, two officers that don't have a strong relationship with the community showed up. They saw Eric Gardner um, just standing there in a corner doing nothing, and they basically went to move, clear the corners. And they murdered Eric Gardner. Okay. Let's, wow. this last piece I just played with Eric mm-hmm. Gardner. Let, let, let's go with, because there's a couple of issues here. Gentrification, but let, let's go back to that example that you gave with um, somebody that wants to open a business. Could be a barbershop mm-hmm. or whatever. They mm-hmm. went through the proper. They found out and went through the proper channels to be legal. Now Eric Gardner, okay, and I'm, I'm dealing with cause and effect here. I'm not dealing with effect and then the cause. Eric Gardner was illegally. He did not have a permit to sell cigarettes because that's what he was. That's what he was doing in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's talk about, let's connect that with changing neighborhoods as well, gentrification. Because let's say mm-hmm. the late Eric Gardner got a permit to open up his own store. He probably could have got a storefront in that neighborhood and be legal and never, and might be still living today. Um, Anyway, that that's my take on that. There's a lot of situations mm-hmm. like that because the way this, the Eric Gardner um, case was, has been presented in mainstream media, they put the race factor on it, and then a lot of black folk listen to it and get discouraged and think we can't win against the police. But like I said, if you bring it back to, all right, Eric Gardner was looking for a way to make some money. All right, nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Eric Gardner wanted to sell cigarettes. Nothing wrong with that. All right. However, mm-hmm. the license. The he license. could have got a license. Had he known how to get a license, I didn't know Eric Gardner. I'm not a mind reader, particularly a mind reader of the dead. I don't have my Ouija mm-hmm. board out today. But <laughs> a lot of people just, I mean, and the aftermath, you know, the media puts out here, particularly this race sells, particularly if a white cop kills kills a black person, it's, it sells newspapers. But what I'm trying to do with this podcast is bring us in. I'm not getting into the legal discussion whether it was murder or this, that, or whatever. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get to the right. point where th- the origins of it, because we're responsible for ourselves. How could that been prevented? I don't want another Eric Gardner to uh, think. So your take on it, because I, I think what you said at the beginning is accurate. Maybe mm-hmm. Eric Gardner didn't know that he should have got a license. But where okay. to go in New York City to get a license? 
Right. That's correct. Because what a lot of times what happens is not being knowledgeable to the minimum, we we put up a defense because right. we don't ask the question, well, how can I get one? Who do I need to call? Who do I need to talk to? But what we go with is, well, why can't I? Who's going to stop me? And that's not our fault. It's not our fault because we are we don't we don't come up being taught proper distribution, should I say, of how to handle our defense. We need to defend ourselves in court after we have followed proper protocols. But what we sometimes do is we go straight to defense because one person says we can't, and then we go with sometimes who's going to stop me. But that's not Mr. Garner's fault. That's not his family's fault. That's not nobody's fault right now. But I want to say it's a, it, it's a problem. It's a problem when we automatically jump to defense. When we can just take a step back and say, or we can learn how to take a step back and say, okay, well, who can I call? What can I do? Where do I go? And sometimes things can change. I'm not ever going to eliminate that racism doesn't exist. Um, Hard times is not on purpose. Sometimes they ignore the calls or they don't want to see it or they miss appointments or they cancel it. You just have to know that eventually not giving up is going to get you where you're supposed to go with talking to who you're supposed to talk to, and eventually they're going to get tired of saying no. And if they don't, then we just keep going. Don't give up. Never give up, but don't always put up a fight. All right. Let, good answer. Let me, and now that's on a lone wolf individual level. Now, right. let, let's, let's stick with the Eric Gardner case. There's another mm-hmm. piece to it, which... Mm-hmm. Is not restricted to an Eric Gardner. You know, okay. you know he was he was shot by the police. Now, every police department in every major city has mm-hmm. what is known uh, the the members the, uh, the members of the police department. There's an organization that they have separate from government, mm-hmm. but it operates the to navigate government on behalf of the police officers that join these private organizations called the Fraternal Order of Police. All right. Uh-huh. Now, uh-huh. now we got to keep in mind with, with yeah. I'm just, just, just give me a second while I have this thought. He was in New York City. Right. You know, New York City, that, that right there, the process could be very well very well and significantly long and extended based on um, a, a smaller city. Now, now you're talking uh, about to get business license? I'm talking about to get that small business permit, correct? Okay, but all, all right. I'm saying is I, I don't want to make it seem like it's just that easy, but it's worth, that, it's worth your life. It's worth your right. time. 
It's worth the right. process. So regardless of how big or how small this the city is, follow procedure to where right. you can't be told no, and you don't you don't hear the word you can, but instead you can, and this is how. Now but, you you but, but like now, said, man, it's it can be worth your life. Correct. To go through that process to get that permit to sell cigarettes or what do it, whatever you do. All right, now, Correct. the police in New York City, mm-hmm. as well as around the country, they have these organizations called Fraternal Order, uh, Order Police, which they typically have people like you mm-hmm. or hire people like you to even navigate them That's right. through government. Now, I've been looking I haven't had much luck, but maybe you know because you know more about. Is there any on, on a citizen's level? Let, let's say on an Eric Gardner level, mm-hmm. a citizen's level, in particular in the African American community that is put together and organized to navigate through that because a lot of us get together in a reactionary reactionary mode and we march mm-hmm. and protest and basically all we've gotten out of that is some exercise and we may we maybe have networked and made made a couple of new friends but that's about it. The problem that we mm-hmm. wanted solved remains. So it to your knowledge, is there any African American organization organized that is the pole well they're equal to the Fraternal Order of Police. Of course there is. Of course. We are being represented on a local level by African Americans. We're being represented by an African American on a state level. And we also have someone representing us in Congress as an African American. Okay, but but this is how I'm breaking it down, and this is okay. this because this is where it starts. So there is right. somebody that is African American that is representing us on every level. Now that's where you start. She's right. contacted. Okay. She is contacted because she or he could be the chairman of a group. Because mm-hmm. regardless to how. Uh, we're going to get to that person, it still starts in your area. So there's, okay. you, that, you understand what I'm saying? So let's just say that, let's just say that John Williams, that's just for an example. John Williams is your city council because there is a, you, you, we may have five city councilmen. Two of them are going to be black. They represent your community. There, there is somebody that has, contacted somebody who is a part of an organization that is in charge of this problem that is existing, that is trying to be fixed. And this is in every state. This is in every small community because there is a problem with everything that it is that we're trying to do and where we're trying to go and to who we're trying to contact to get this message out. Yes, that march it started with that small group to a small organization in that small town that eventually gets contacted by the bigger people. So, it, like, with the name, I am not going to put any name out there 
because I'm not going to be the person to say, well, I'm just saying, like, oh, well, State Department will say to contact this organization because this is what y'all do. No, you need to call your city councilman. That's what you voted him for. Oh, okay, well, then I've called my city councilman. He says that he doesn't know. Well, you have your state representative. Contact your state representative. Oh, okay, I'll contact my state representative. Oh, okay, well, you need to contact your senator. Oh, I contacted my senator when my senator said that this is what I can do. He has answers. They fight for you every single day on Capitol Hill. They fight for you every single session at the state capitol. They fight for you every single day at every single town hall meeting. They fight for you. They know. They hear your concerns. But what they're needing for us to do is to not just talk about it and argue it, but to be about it in your community. We always say that change starts with us. This is very relevant. This is very relevant, and we have to be consistent with it. We can't just we can't just say one day and then tomorrow it's completely different. You have to stick to it. You have to be consistent. So there is plenty of different organizations. We have our phones in our hands every single day. Do we utilize it and do we do the right things with it? Not all the time. But everybody we need a contact is only a Google away. Every single organization that we need against. We need to to become aware of the organizations that can help Mm -hmm. as well. So that's what you're saying. Okay. Okay. That's that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, yes, that organization that you needed to call or that that person you need to talk to, he represents you at City Hall, at your city council meeting. He knows. Oh, and then you say you talk to him. Well, what he's telling you, because he's not blowing you off. What he's telling you is the truth. He, whatever it is he asks of you, you can do it. Just get it done and be consistent with it. And follow procedures. A lot of times these regulations, they're not set to stop us. They just want us to follow it. They just need for us to go through this process so that you can't be told no. Lobbyists come in. We come in as the mediator, and we break it down. Because you can hear it in the paper. You can hear it on the radio, or you can read it in the paper, and it's going to be Greek to you. They'll give you a 300-page piece of legislation that refers to your business. You're not Mm -hmm. trying to read 300 pages of legislation. So as a lobbyist, it gets broken down. Okay, this is what's good for you. This is what might stop you. But if you do this, this is not going to be a problem for you. And you can't be told no. That's why the current president of the United States verbally said, I love the uneducated. He said that because it's true. If you don't take the time to read it and understand it, and if you don't have somebody that is capable of breaking it down for you, you're going to ignore it. You're not going to pay any attention to it. And the, and the, the people who should not be in office continue to be there. You know, I, I, like what you now, I like what you're sharing with us because uh, basically – because we went through a civil rights era, but what you're talking mm-hmm. about are civil rights that a lot of us on a critical mass basis are not even aware of to take advantage of or act on. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to another piece of this puzzle. Meetings, Correct. because their meetings 
on a well local level, state level, all over. Let's see with the local level. On a local level, because you're in the thick of it, uh, are people really taking advantage of the? Or first thing, are they aware of these local meetings? Because usually uh, they make it available when these meetings happen. Are a lot of these people? A lot of people. Or the right, di- well, are people, a critical mass of people taking advantage of attending these meetings, public meetings? Mm-hmm. 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 And it's public notice. It is law that meetings for the city council and any time session is in, it's posted. It has to be posted. We don't, we don't pay attention to these things. We're not we're not going to City Hall and going walk through and looking at the the public bulletin board because every month it's posted as to when the city council meetings are going to be held. It's public notice. It's public information. It's there for us in plain view. We just don't pay attention to those things. If it doesn't pertain to us, it, we, don't, we don't pay attention to it. And the only times that we do is when it's starting to affect us or when somebody gets hurt or when somebody in our family is is actually uh, being penalized for it. Now we want to get the word out. But it's there. It's in plain view. Well, all right, let me ask you this. Let, let's go from the, the city council and the mayor's mm-hmm. office. Let's switch over to the police department. Uh, do these precincts uh, have mm-hmm. meetings? Uh, is the police chief available in public forms? Can you the ask police, police chief? Yes, the, when when a police officer is at a city council, then there's because he's being the topic of a discussion. But the chief is at every council meeting. He has to be. And if the city police isn't there, then the assistant police is there. So they are in attendance because they are a part of the agenda at every meeting because their funding comes from the city hall, comes from mayor which comes from the state, which comes from the federal government. So mm. bringing it back down to the city scale, yes, they are always there. So they are a part of the public meetings, yes. So the, does the city department in itself have meetings that are to the public where the chief is having a meeting with his staff? No, that's not, that's not open to the public. But the chief of police is at every city council meeting. What about for like neighborhood, just basic, like you take a precinct, police precinct, mm-hmm. and like, do they mm-hmm. have any meetings or can, uh, you know, they got civic associations everywhere. Can a civic association request uh, that somebody um, from the police um, department come into yes. one of their meetings? Okay. Yes, absolutely. 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 Now, it, it would be up to the police department to. Um, welcome the invitation and for them to attend the meeting. But even even with um, an organization that's wanting to have a meeting with the chief of police, absolutely they have they they do have that right to request a meeting. And it is up to the police uh, chief or the sheriff department to uh, welcome the invitation. But they don't they don't as often as I know there is somebody within that department that represents an African-American community that is within those organizations. They can't win without us. They can't. They need our support. So they're going to have somebody 
to represent the African-American community within our organization. So it's not, no one can say that they're shut down or they're shut out. They can't. They can't say that. They shouldn't, should I say they shouldn't say that. They shouldn't. And we should not think that way either. We should not think that there's nobody that represents us in that department because there is. There is somebody fighting for us somewhere every single day. There is somebody within those departments because it's, it's federal regulations. They have to meet their African-American quota. That don't mean that, that they don't respect them, but there is somebody there. How, well, obviously, there's a communication disconnect. Uh, any suggestions mm-hmm. on how we can make people, more people aware of what's available? Because what you're talking about is like your, simple things what, to do. It really, it really is. It really is. If we get involved with attending city council meetings more. They talk about, in, during city council meetings, they talk about everything that affects us, your water system, your electricity bills, and the rates that is, um, the budget, the city budget and how it's distributed, what department is getting money. They have, they, we have a, what they call a, um, an audit, an audit report. It shows how the money is being distributed in the city. All of that is there. All that information is, is available to us. We just don't pay attention to those things. And, and, and we don't pay attention to it because it's not a part of our daily work. And I get it. I understand that. I understand that we have to go to work. We have to make money. We have to mind our own business. We have to take care of our families. We have to pay our bills. Then that's what we, and that's what we should do. But we cannot argue with whenever there's a situation that happens that affects us and then it throws a, a wrench into our daily activities and we're shocked. You have that, that information is there for you. I just would like and I would just suggest that our African-American community and any other minority group for that matter, pay more attention to your local government. Pay more attention to what happens in your small towns and then go to your city meetings Make time. We make time to go to happy hour. We make time to go to parties. We make time to celebrate with our friends every day. Or we, we mostly make time to sit down, hold our phones in our hands, and get on social media. We make time for that. We make time to do those things that doesn't even contribute to the future of our kids. I mean, just, just in the part of the the. Uh, Recording that you play, we talked about inheritance that we should be receiving and us being able to compete. We don't know that. We don't, we don't, we're not able to compete because we don't pay attention to the right. that the, 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 minor, the, the majority that they're teaching their kids. We, we, we're not paying attention to those things and we're not able to compete because we are unaware, we're uneducated, and we don't have the knowledge that we need to pass down on to our children that in return is going to pass on to theirs and then grow. True. True. Yeah. It all, it it, it doesn't take a whole lot to pay attention to what is important to you. And the only time we do shed some light on it is when something happens where police brutality occurs. 
Let's pay attention early. Let's do it now. Let's start today. Let's go to our next city council meeting. When we have sessions, well, let's go to city hall. I mean, let's go to um, the uh, state capitol and let's sit in on the laws and what's being discussed and how it's going to affect me tomorrow when the governor decides to pass it. Let's pay attention to that. Let's just let's not forget about it. Let's not let's not forget where it all began, and let's not forget how we can change, and let's contribute to creating different, exciting ways to get the message out, not just when when we lose a brother or a sister, but let's be aware so that we can prevent these things from happening. Let's get educated on the process. Um, Speaking of education, now, how can they do that? Is there a school, workshop, seminars for this? Learn how to, you know... No, there's, there's no school lobby um, that is advertised a whole lot because it's not something that um, a whole lot of people will pay that pays attention to it. A lot of times lobbying is um, introduced to attorneys and um, people who have been um, a part of the political realm go into political science. But... Um, if, if anybody feels passionate about politics and they know a lot about it without having been involved into it too many times and sometimes they're born, in, born into it and they have no other choice but to love it, um, you, you won't be aware of how to um, contribute to your local government, state government, or be a part of um, the legislative process. Um, it's not something that is being introduced to us as children either. Um, but if you well, maybe allow yourself, be. and and maybe it should be, and it definitely should be um, introduced to us and offered to our youth, and then they can make the decision on whether or not they want to continue down that path um, and get more educated and get more involved into the uh, legislative process yeah, and make changes. Okay. Make changes early. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, um, there's a few ways you can do this. Cause like at a lot of your churches, you know, you got all these ministries, singles ministry, prison ministry, homeless ministry, sick and shut-in ministry. Maybe somebody let's get, should... let's get a Let's get political ministry. <laughs> <laughs> let's oh, yeah, political ministry. <laughs> because I it, mean, it, uh... Cast before, um, uh, like mothers who have lost their son to gun violence, so mm-hmm. they write to, out of frustration, and I, I give them, I, I give them credit for trying though. They'll write to a Jesse mm-hmm. Jackson, Alvin Sharpton. They'll write to the president. Typically, they might not get an answer back from anybody. I think in one case I know of, she got a response back from Al Sharpton. You know, saying here. $20,000 plus expenses, but she had a $20,000. So she had a little problem for her and her. But, uh, and I, she reached out to local politicians. One basically came back and said she, you know, she couldn't do anything for her. Which brings me to something that Lyndon Johnson said. He said, if you support me, now, if you support me now, meaning 
basically help bankroll the election, you'll have access. He says, if you don't do it now, and after I'm elected, you'll get good government. So let's go to the access part. Um, mm-hmm. Your suggestions on, because Claudia to mention about group politics. Well, you got to have a group first before you get to the politics part. Your suggestions on, uh, well, you know, parents who lost loved ones to gun violence. There's a lot of them out there. Mm-hmm. And it's on what they can do to get organized. Okay, let's 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 go ahead and and um, let me let me give a little insight to 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 that. Now, uh, I know you mentioned the uh, representative, and you mentioned uh, the group head Sharpton and LB Johnson. Okay, those people are significant. They're prominent. They are fantastic. They're great. But the person who works aside them, beneath them, around it, is truly the person responsible for them and their significance. Now, those people you don't have access to. You don't have their phone numbers. You, don't, you can't Google them and, and get their office address. But you have the office number, and you have listings as far as aides. They are the ones responsible for the real work. They're the ones responsible for the meeting coordination. They're the ones responsible for the information gathered to present to these to the prominent people. And they're often the ones who stay in office. They're the ones who've been there in these offices for years, keeping it running, making them functional, because the, the, the heads, they change. They get elected out. But sometimes they don't even re, sometimes they don't even get reelected. Right. So it's, it's not always about getting to the top person. I know you mentioned the Mothers Against uh, Violence, Gun Violence, and contacting Mr. Sharpton, and he's asking for $20,000. And they pay it, that's fine. They don't but you got to keep in mind that he's not always the person that can help. He's not always the person that can just give you that one sentence and say, this is what we can do to help. This is what you can do to help yourself without having to pay this money up front. Now, I could be struck for saying something like that and not requesting the illustrious Alex often. But if you can, because sometimes we just need help. We just need information. We just want somebody to give us proper guidance to how we can get this done without paying the, the this illustrious cost of, of uh, somebody of that significance and that prominence. So I would just have a little inside information by sharing. You contact the aides. You contact the secretary. You, you, you just ask them these questions. They're so knowledgeable. Every the, the significant and prominent person, they represent you as a mass. But sometimes you want to be shrinked on down as an individual and have that one-on-one with this person who is very knowledgeable for them to tell you how to handle a matter that is very significant and important that will allow you to keep going, to get things mm-hmm. done. 
So you, they are these people are are hired to work for them. Therefore, they have to know how to be professional. They have to know what the process is because a lot of times they need help as well. So what they do is they hire people who know everything so that it can benefit the office, the administration, and the organization as a whole. So so basically, even if you don't get in touch with the person in charge, you need to contact the aide. You need to contact the assistant, maybe even the secretary. They're the ones who want to call. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, so I think everything you're, you're speaking about needs to be organized into a school um, mm-hmm. or a workshop or retreat or something. Um, because, like I said, the, the system, the information is there, the people are there on a critical mass basis. Too many people just don't know what the first step Where is. Exactly. Yeah, where to go. And then on oh. um, the first try, they give up. If they're shut down or they're giving, you know, um, the process of how to do stuff, how to do something without any help, and they just give up. Yeah. Practically. Yeah, that, that, yeah I, there's a lot of that just, or not, yeah, or not even trying. Not even trying. Maybe yeah, not to because they heard. Yeah, they right. they exactly. heard somebody say, "Oh, this is hard." <laughs> like, yeah. some big people, yeah, they heard it's hard, or they've, uh, well, a lot of people now, in my opinion, use like it's such a racist. But a lot of people mm-hmm. say, "Well, it's white supremacy. You can't do anything anyway." My take on that, that's a department language. The concept of white supremacy, in my opinion, is a mind fuck. So if you buy into it, you're going to be defeated. Because you mm-hmm. won't even try. You won't even mm-hmm. seek out, like, in the case of Eric Gardner, all he needed was a permit. Because he, he got vendors, he got people with vendors. That sell on the street. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. don't bother. Them. People decide okay. to get a storefront and nobody bothers mm-hmm. them. And typically, as the guy mentioned in that, that piece I played on, Gentrified, uh, you know, well, mm-hmm. but once you get your license and have your storefront, the vendors have a group of people that they meet with, you know, their little association. So it's mm-hmm. a storefront, just like the NRA. Oh, they mm-hmm. have a membership yeah. you know, to do what they need to do politically as well as okay. economically and all that other stuff. Um, but it, it still it it started just with a with a small permit that eventually right. grew and got eventually passed on and got revenue increased and they got more powerful. They were able to go to Congress and Capitol Hill and fight for the things that they they they. The rights and the, the you know, the uh, legislation that would allow them to continue making money and make, potentially making more money. It still started with the root. It started with the seed. This thing wasn't introduced to them big already. It wasn't. Right. 
every powerful or every powerful business and every successful business started with a seed in the dirt that eventually learned a process, the proper process, which turned into a stem and then starting to branch off and flourish because they did not. With a little mustard seed. Well, yeah, and I, I used to see on this, well, I, I'll see it again. Everything starts with one. So it starts with one. Well, uh, I guess offline, I, I'm going to have to draft you to or negotiate with you to um, put together a workshop or something. Uh, so we Certainly. can get this information out. Um, there's so many ways to go with, with it, but uh, you're absolutely right. Um, we have to learn the system on a critical mass basis. And it's it, the weird thing about it is, at least to me, is uh, I think I mentioned this when we talked the other day. Like, you have some black folks that say, well, Obama didn't do anything for black folks, but he did something for gay people. But a lot of the LGBT community, and their various political groups on a fundamental mm-hmm. grassroots level, mm-hmm. they contributed to the you know to you know election. So when you do that on the front end, you got some type of access. Um, so we've got the money, we've got the people, we have the resources. Mm-hmm. We just need to get educated on. How, like you just the been saying the whole podcast, the process. That's right, we do. The process. The proper How process. Because right now, particularly when it comes to the shootings, um, people say, well, we comply, you know, hands up. But the process is bigger than traffic stop. It is. Uh, people need to just take a look at the, you know, the whole whole system mm-hmm. to see how it works. Now, people need our interested your services are going to get in touch with Okay, well, I do have an organization called Formula for Faith, and um, Faith is an acronym for Fixing an Issue That Helps, which actually starts, uh, it actually began um, about two months ago. It's not, it's not a huge organization, but it was, it's a new founded a program that I started in regards to helping individuals with small problems. And those small problems is what eventually escalates to bigger problems and um, harder times um, of getting out of the uh, situation. Yeah, so, yes, the eat walk, the, um, the phone number for Formula for Faith, I can be directly contacted at 832-224-2195 and also um, email at formula for Faith at gmail. Dot com. You have a uh, what do you call it, Facebook page on that yet? Oh, we do. I do not. I'm not very big on um, social media. Um, I, I find that to be um, sometimes a distraction because people are not looking for information like that on those types of sightings. But I do have. Um, I do send Insta messages. Um, just you know, if you need help, a lot of times people scroll and they'll find those things. Um, but it is formula for faith. Um, on Instagram, and um, I do mostly um, communications with individuals one-on-one, city hall meetings, state capitals, 
and um, I do contact have contact with my legislators, and they are connections with their constituents to where um, I've informed them that they can um, call me, and then um, we can definitely work one-on-one with attending to a matter that they may have. And it, it doesn't matter what the situation is, because a lot of times it's a traffic ticket. Other times it is their garbage not being picked up. Other times it's their life in the front of their yard and they don't know what electric company to contact or they contacted the electric company and it's been two months and their life posters have been out. But it's just these little things that matter um, that allows us to focus on what's important, contributing to our, you know, lives functionally and not worrying about a little issue that is prohibiting us from going forward. And even with local licenses, alcohol permits, tobacco permits, um, they're not having the proper forms or um, documentation needed to complete the process. So it's just one of those things to where it's what's stopping you? What do you right. want to do? What's stopping you? We can help. Where are you on Instagram again? I'm on Instagram now. Uh, formula for Faith. The four, number four. Uh, four. Uh, uh, spelled it out. Uh-uh, F- no, no, it's F O R, the word for F O R. Faith, F-A-I-T-H, fixing an issue that helps. Mm-hmm. And um, as an image consultant, I do have regal image consulting as well. Now, what does the image consultant do? Uh, image consulting is um, it's, um, it's a business um, that we have with helping with the appearance of individuals who have um, taken the pleasure of graduating from college and entering into the professional realm, and they then go from being a, a, a college student to a professional. So what we do is we we um, build them up, give them images, and that will prepare them for their work life and history. Um, a lot of times we have um, um, individuals who've lost a significant amount of weight and they can't put nothing else in their closet. So what we do is we counsel them on uh, certain pieces that will extenuate their new shapes. And sometimes we have divorce. I mean, clients are divorced and they're ready to step off. So it's more of a, prefers- uh, a personal image consultation where it enhances their looks and gives them the ability to keep going forward. The project that I've done outside of legislation is only to inspire the individuals to continue going, keep them going. Formula for Favor was developed when as I work with individuals one-on-one, they have, outside of their images, they have personal problems with their businesses. So we actually just started an organization where we would help them contact the governments needed, the proper departments um, needed to fix the problems that they were having so they can flourish, so that they can keep going. Okay. Um, all right. I got you locked in on uh, what they call it, Instagram. Gotcha. Uh, Fantastic. Well, this right here is definitely something that um, is it, it, is only an introduction to the the mass problems that our um, ethnicity and youth is is facing and the troubles that we're having in um in America. But it don't like we said a moment ago. It only starts with the seed. We'll plant it. We'll give it some water, and we'll watch it grow. And that's like right. everything else. Right, right. Well, um, I guess we can do something. Uh, 
Sounds good. Sounds good. I do appreciate I do appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and let me get for the people that are listening. Now for a playback of this podcast as we're we're about to conclude the live stream. Uh mm-hmm. you can actually all this weekend because it's Friday. Or you can about ten minutes uh ten to no more than fifteen minutes after this live stream will be over about three minutes. You can call seven one two four three two eighty eight sixty three and uh you can you can hear the uh the on demand playback and then you either press seven and nine to fast forward rewind. But seven one two four three two eighty eight sixty three. That's the on demand playback of this podcast. Uh or this is the one I'll be doing all weekend. So uh you can hear it uh there and then on Blog Talk Radio. It's my house, so a landlord, and then it'll be today. Today's podcast is the missing link in the black community in the lobby. Let's device it here online. So you got two ways to listen to it on the man. Everyone have a good rest of the weekend. Enjoy.